This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, uh, Fred Stella. He is uh, and has been for over 20 years the uh, president of the Michigan organization, Interfaith Dialogue Association. And his radio show, uh, which airs on NPR in his area of Michigan, and uh, is Common Threads. And so, uh, Fred, thank you so very much uh, for taking the time to come on our show today. And before we start, I, I just want to throw out, Phil, that uh, we want to thank those um, listeners that have helped us stay on the air. And again, our, you're, we're found at spiritmatterstalk.com. And right there, if you wish to help us out, you can hit a button, a red button, and, <laughs> uh, and, and, and uh, uh, contribute uh, to keeping us on the air. It's not a donation. It's not tax, tax deductible, as we are not a nonprofit. But uh, just to keep that in mind. Uh, and again, Fred, thank you so very much for uh, indulging in us saying that, me saying that just now. And uh, we have lots of questions for you, but thank you so much for coming on the air. Oh, you're more than welcome. It's, it's great to be on the other side of the microphone, as Phil has been a guest on Common Thread several times. So That's right. Yeah. And uh, I will recommend uh, Fred's Common Threads show to all our listeners. Uh, there's an archive. Just go online and find it. Fred, well, let's, it up. Yep. let's begin with uh, your spiritual history, uh, which we always want to give our listeners a sense of uh, how you came to the work you do and uh, what your spiritual journey has been like. Uh, and so how did you come to uh, be on the path you eventually uh, started to walk? Well, it started with baptism. Uh, <laughs> less than a month old, I was baptized a Roman Catholic. You might be able to tell from my surname that I'm an Italian-American. Uh, and so I was raised in a very Italian Catholic culture. It, it's kind of hard to separate the two. It's kind of like being Indian and Hindu at the same time. Where does one stop and the other begin? Mm. Uh, you know, when you're raised uh, eating bread named after saints, uh, you know, it, it has an effect on you. Uh, and I, I really loved being Catholic. I did very well in religion class. Uh, I am a product of 16 years of Catholic education. Hold your applause. Um, that, that includes college. I went to a Jesuit college. And, and so, you know, all of that was, was wonderful. The, the, the challenge was that at about the age of 13, I just stopped believing in the most important parts of the Catholic dogma. And I didn't have anything to replace it with. And I still really liked Jesus a lot. And I, I wanted to model my life after his in, in many ways. Um, but uh, so I just decided, well, I'm not going to really talk about this with anybody. I'm going to just be my own kind of Catholic and go on my merry way. So I continued to go to weekly mass with my family and uh, continued with my Catholic education and all of that. But Along the way, I was asking big questions, and the questions weren't being answered. And then uh, a remarkable thing happened when, and this sounds, Phil, you know this, it sounds so cliche, but when the Beatles went to <laughs> India, 
Schultz heard about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something happened. Puberty. Along with uh, realizing that something kind of big was happening. And I intuited that I wanted to experience something like this. And I distinctly remember a conversation with my mother where when she asked me, because I was talking about the, the Maharishi and the Beatles, and she was a little bit concerned and she asked me, do you think that he has special powers from God? And I thought that that was the wrong question. That <laughs> I, you know, it, it just didn't, I, I couldn't filter out what really needed to be said. But I actually said yes. <laughs> and, and I didn't really mean that he had special powers from God. I just meant that there was something there that was sacred. And I just know her, I remember her answer going like, well, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes or something like that. So that was certainly a big part. Then the second part would be when I took a uh, world religions class in my very progressive Catholic high school. And the teacher uh, in charge was somebody who, when she taught each religion, whether it was Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, she taught it from a very even-handed uh, foundation standpoint. It, she didn't uh, use Catholicism as always like the the, the standard of truth, uh, it, it, and we stand all these other religions next to it, these, these minor trifles. No, she was excited about Islam. She was excited about Judaism. But when she got to Hinduism, uh, there's a little, little went off. And I thought, okay, uh, I've already had the experience of reading about the Beatles being in India, listening to the music, etc. Now let me explore this a little bit more. And, and I was kind of excited about it. Uh, then the next step was growing up in Detroit, as I did before I moved to Grand Rapids, uh, uh, the uh, ISKCON was really the only game in town because we're talking about 1970. And in 1970, there were no other Hindu temples except the Hare Krishnas. And they would have Sankirtan, which is the tradition of chanting and dancing in, in the public square. Uh, they would do that in front of uh, our largest department store downtown, Hudson's. And I would go to Hudson's quite a bit. And I remember the first time I saw... Uh, you know, bald men in togas jumping up and down and chanting in a language I did not understand. I just doubled up with laughter. I had no idea who they were. But then I found out who they were, and uh, uh, I approached them one time, and they gave me a little card that had the Maha Mantra on it and the invitation to the Sunday evening feast, which was ubiquitous at that time with uh, yeah. this content. Free food, the... man. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, so I I decided to take a self-directed field trip. I had to get a friend of mine who had a car to drive me. <laughs> uh, and we went, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And and I had never tasted Indian food before. So the, the uh, presentation on the Bhagavad Gita fascinated me, chanting, kirtan, uh, uh, I loved it. 
the uh, the saris and the dotis and the, the altar all just pulled me in. It was remarkable. But then, of course, there was prashadam after after the service and everything. And as I say, I'd never had it before, but it just won me over immediately. So I always say that if, if ever I was to do a commercial for uh, Hinduism, the, the tagline would be Hinduism. Come for enlightenment, but stay for dinner. And, <laughs> and uh, now, I, I never joined ISKCON, but I did go to the temple multiple times throughout the, the, the years. And it's interesting because when I was reading about the Maharishi and listening to the Beatles talk about him and listen to the music that was uh, influenced by him, I, I, something told me, this is not your path. And I don't even know if I knew what a path was, but I never was motivated to, to take a TM course. I just, I said to myself, you know, someday something is going to resonate with me. Same thing with ISKCON. While I really, really appreciated those early days going to the temple and learning uh, what I could in getting my Bhagavad Gita, my first Bhagavad Gita, uh, I, I also thought this isn't quite the path for me. And then I, the, the path that I settled on uh, years later was Paramahansa Yogananda's SRF path. So, and, and that is where I've been for uh, 40 years, mo almost 40 years. Very good. Hey, I, I have a similar background in that my family is uh, fully from Italy. Uh, I grew up Catholic, uh, but in New Jersey, which is probably... Uh, the culture was probably very similar to the culture you grew up in. And uh, I started out, you know, really into the church, but then for similar reasons drifted away. I, I got involved in TM, uh, you know, 50 years ago and uh, found it very fulfilling. And one, one of the things that um, happened to me, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you about this, and I also have um, not as much as Phil, but I have some familiarity uh, with uh, SRF, uh, spiritual. Uh, Yes, Self-Realization Fellowship. Uh, I have uh, visited uh, a number of their temples, including the one in Encinitas, a number of times. And, uh, and that is that it. Uh, looking back on my Catholicism and a lot of the stuff that I rejected, uh, my study of, of TM, my study of, of uh, Eastern teaching, uh, uh, of, of, of meditation, gave me deeper insights into the Catholicism that I had gone through. Uh, and uh, there was probably more there than I had uh, thought there was. Did you have a similar experience in your journey? A hundred percent. And what one needs to do, I think, is separate the institution from its saints. Right. And when you do that, and when you focus on the mystics such as such as Teresa of Avila and uh, Francis of Assisi and uh, Claire, uh, all of those people, yeah, it, 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 you read the cloud of unknowing, and you also read some of the people who didn't quite make it to, to sainthood, such as I believe Erasmus, um, but nonetheless, they were they came out of that uh, Catholic culture. And they came, they came away with, or they handed down to us deep, deep, profound thoughts. And one gets the impression that they were kind of playing their cards close to the vest, that 
if they had actually admitted that they experienced some sort of oneness with God, they would have been out the door. Uh, but still, that devotion, that that uh, commitment to the contemplative life is very, very powerful. So you are correct. And one of the things that I love about Eastern Dharma is that you don't really have to throw everything out. Whereas if it's the other way around, at right. least traditionally, okay, so if you're a, a Hindu who becomes Catholic, uh, you got to get rid of those statues of Rama and Shiva in your room. <laughs> Yeah, Fred. No, uh, I've lost the sound. Oh, am I not being heard? Hello. I hear you. I hear you. Oh. Let's just continue. Okay, um, Fred. Um, speaking of uh, Yogananda and uh, your Catholicism, one of the hallmarks of Yogananda uh, is uh, that he. Um, his treatment of Jesus and his reverence for Jesus is exceeds the usual uh, uh, respect for Jesus that you find among gurus and, and in uh, Hindus. Um, and there's, he said a lot and wrote a lot and about Jesus and uh, Jesus is on uh, considered part of his lineage. Um, how much did that affect your decision to, uh, uh, pursue the uh, Yogananda's teachings, and how did Yogananda's um, take on Jesus influence you and your thinking about, you know, your own heritage? Well, a couple of things. First of all, I do remember that at the ISKCON temple in Detroit, they also talked a lot about Jesus. I mean, you, you'd have to in a situation like that, I think, where uh, 90% of the people who walked in the doors of the Iskon Temple were of a Christian background, mm -hmm. and they want to know, well, then what is this? Those people, the, the, the Iskon devotees who came from a Christian background, would often talk about Jesus, and, and of course, in a very admirer, uh, admiring way, and I remember looking at the altar back then at 15, 16 years old and thinking, boy, it's a shame that Jesus isn't up there right next to Krishna. Mm. <laughs> so uh, the very first contact I had with SRF is when I was visiting Grand Rapids. I was actually contemplating the move. I was here for a job interview in radio. And I was with a friend of mine, and he said, I want to go visit after we're done with the radio station, because uh, he was being interviewed as well. I want to find my friend George. He runs the SRF group up here. And like, well, what's the SRF group? And he told me a little bit about it. Well, we go to George's home where the meditation group meets, and lo and behold, we're sitting in front of the altar. Mm -hmm. And do I see but Krishna right next to Jesus? And I, I just find that fascinating that I had actually visualized Krishna and Jesus being together. Um, so fast forward, yes, in those early days, I think that uh, having Jesus a part of the lineage, so to speak, um, uh, did, it was encouraging. But of course, by, by that time, by the time I had discovered SRF, that was... Uh, uh, 10 years after ISKCON, 
I was all I already had a really good relationship with Krishna, if you will. But it was nice to have them together. And uh, yes, uh, reading uh, Yogananda's works, specifically the the one volume, the Second Coming of Christ, um, truly influenced me in a great way. However, it is interesting that Yogananda. He says right at the beginning of that work that this is an imperfect work. He doesn't use the, I'm paraphrasing, but he's saying that if Jesus was to write a book, this wouldn't be the book he'd write. That he acknowledges that there are uh, the what we call the Bible, the, the New Testament, uh, comes from translations of translations and copies of copies of copies. So we know that we're dealing with something that isn't necessarily exactly what Jesus would do. And yet Yogananda takes all of the sayings of Jesus and gives them, gives them import, gives them meaning, imbues in them a Vedantic worldview. And so whether or not Jesus really said this, that, or the other thing that is in the Bible and hence in the Yogananda's book, it doesn't really matter. Because the most important thing is that this truth of Vedanta and yoga is being uh, amplified. Excellent. Thank you. Now, I, when you first got involved with SRF, uh, coming out of Catholicism and Jesuit background and all, uh, I'm going to guess um, I, that uh, you probably weren't doing anything so experiential in Catholicism, maybe prayer. But and when uh, part of SRF, as I understand it, is initially you do learn a uh, type or types of meditation, and uh, was that your experience? And when you got initially into that experiential side of SRF, uh, how did you react to it? What were your experiences like? Did it further uh, change your sort of your spiritual worldview uh, uh, from from uh, that experience? To answer that, I'm going to have to go back even further than when we started this conversation. So I, I started talking about my path when I was uh, around 12, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. All right. There's, a, there's something else I left out, but your question begs me to address this. Okay. You have to know this about me. I was a weird kid. Okay. Now that that's on the table, uh, I was actually meditating when I was like four, five, six years old. It, it wasn't something that I did throughout my entire childhood, but I was doing it. And I, at one point in my early adulthood, I remembered that I, I did this and I had no idea what I was doing. I would sit down, I would close my eyes and actually the the technique if that's what you want to call it that i would use was very closely related to ramana maharshi's uh meditation mm -hmm. where you attempt to find the thinker of the thoughts right who mm -hmm. am i asking the question who am i and going deeper like peeling the onion layer upon layer now Nobody ever taught me how to do this. It's something that I did spontaneously once, and then I would I would do it from time to time. 
Uh, if if you were to walk into the room and say, what are you doing? I would have no idea how to answer you. But I distinctly remember those experiences, and they really were experiences. And when I started getting involved in the Kriya uh, sadhana of, of Yogananda, it brought back those memories of, yes, I did this before. I had this experience, and you are correct that uh, one of the differences between standard Western religion and uh, uh, the Hindu Dharma or Buddha Dharma or whatever Dharma you want is that it's not the belief system. It is the practice and the experiences that come from those practices. And so uh, getting involved in something more formal, such as the Kriya meditation, uh, awakened that which started back when I was four or five years old. Interesting. Fred, um, I know, uh, as you know, I know a tremendous number of people who have been uh, influenced by uh, the uh, teachings that came to us from India, people who have gurus, people who have regular uh, meditation and yoga practices. Very few of them, no matter how devoted they are, uh, self-identify as Hindu other than people born into the, uh, the tradition in India. Um, you do. And I, I find that fascinating. I find the whole phenomenon of who does and who doesn't fascinating. Um, you represent uh, Hinduism in interfaith groups. You have a position at the uh, Hindu temple in uh, Grand Rapids where you are and uh, have done other things uh, in the name of uh, Hinduism, uh, what uh, tell us about the decision to to uh, hold yourself as Hindu and represent uh, a tradition in that way? Yeah, there there is a little bit of story there. Uh, so. I enjoyed the identity of being Catholic, even when I Catholicism had very little influence in my life and in my thinking. I pretty much rejected the most important dogmas of the church, and yet culturally, uh, it was still a part of me. And you know, when you when you have memorized the prayers and you know the mass backwards and forwards. It, it becomes a part of your identity. Uh, but then I started moving away from that. I think for about a minute, I would call myself a Zen Catholic, which means nothing, really. I don't know. It's uh -huh. um, I was probably spiritual, but not religious before the term became a thing. Yeah. All right. And then I remember, because I, I, was, I was looking for a handle of some kind, and... I, I read an article where the phrase adherent to the Hindu yoga tradition was used. And I go, well, that's what I'll call myself, an adherent to the Hindu yoga tradition. And it's, it's just kind of distant, you know, like not quite your boyfriend, but, you know, <laughs> we're re really tight, intimate friends, but not your boyfriend. Don't don't call me that. So so uh, I at one point. 
it's so funny. You know how you may know people like this yourself or you, you've read about it. The guy who grows up and he does all of these manly things, he plays sports, he dates a lot of girls, this, that, and the other thing, manly, 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 and then he, manly, and then he wakes up one day and he says, who am I kidding? I'm gay. And from that point on, he identifies as gay, not just uh, somebody who ha might have gay fantasies or an occasional uh, a gay tryst or whatever, but he's actually identified as gay. The same thing kind of happened to me with religion. I woke up one day and I said, who am I kidding? I'm a Hindu. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, uh, and and I'll, I'll, let, me, let me just say one other thing. That what pulled me into this, I think, part at least partially, is the ability to serve. I wanted to help serve the Hindu community. And I didn't think that I could do it if I did not identify as one of their own. And it was through that that this whole world uh, opened up for me, that uh, I go to the Hindu conferences. I'm, as you know, on uh, the National Leadership Council of Hindu American Foundation, all of these things that I wouldn't really be able to do if I was just a guest. Mm. Very good. I, I, along these lines, I, I have a question. Uh, Catholicism, where you started out, is uh, a, a religion of conversion. Uh, they proselytize. They want people to become Catholic. They want you to be baptized, whatever like that. Ultimately, they feel, you know, they, you know they'll accept other people, but that's what they really are after. Mm -hmm. If somebody comes to you as a Hindu, as a, a, a spiritual teacher, uh, an organizer, and they say to you, you know, I, I'm looking for a spiritual path. I want to grow spiritually. Uh, I'm spiritual but not religious. And what, do you, what would you recommend to them? Do you recommend to them that they uh, look into SRF and learn? Because you don't have to become Hindu to, to participate in SRF and, and follow their program. Uh, or do you tell them, look, I, I really think you should become a Hindu uh, or both? Uh, what, what, what advice do you give to somebody? Um, you know, that's interesting because I'm the liaison for the local chapter of SRF. And so if if you were looking for SRF in Grand Rapids, you would get my phone number. And so over the years, I fielded a number of calls from people who are searching, who are looking for a new place to go. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'd be on the phone with them for 15, 20 minutes, maybe even a half hour. And I would really, I'd, I'd want to delve into who they are and why they are searching. Of course, over 90% of the people uh, who would call would be uh, coming from a Christian background. And I can't tell you how many times I told them that, look, you're more than welcome to come to SRF. Uh, we're not going to keep you away. But quite honestly, I think you should try A, B, or C. And this is where my interfaith work uh, right. is into play. Because so, for instance, let's say I really get the impression that they are Christian and that they're, they're not going in a direction to leave Christianity, but they've never heard about Unity Church. So I would, I would say, well, have you ever been to Unity? And I would ex explain what Unity was. And 
send them on their way. Sometimes uh, I know that I've said, uh, you you sound like a Buddhist. <laughs> you sound like a Buddhist. So I would uh, tell them how to get a hold of the, the local sanghas here. Uh, again, not trying to talk them out of it, just uh, talking them out of SRF or the Hindu temple or anything else. Just this is where I think you might want to explore. So, yes, my, my job, if you will, is not to bring uh, people into the fold. Uh, the, uh, my job, really, I think, as a spiritual counselor, is to help you find where you need to be. The only, the only people that I've actually encouraged to um, come to the Hindu temple uh, uh, are Mormons. And the only reason for that is they are the best tithers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get a few on our show. Um, exactly. <laughs> Fred, I want to segue to your years of experience uh, uh, as a radio host doing Common Threads, where you've interviewed uh, countless numbers of people, including me, over the years. Um, in the time we have remaining, uh, Two questions, really. One, um, what was the most memorable interview you've done? And you can't say me. Yeah, other than Phil. Darn, darn. <laughs> and um, uh, two, uh, what what are some of the lessons you learned uh, doing the show over the years? You know, I uh, I had a memorable, the most memorable show. I had it on the tip of my tongue, and then I forgot it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and I, I will say, not to flatter, but but Phil, you are always a, a wonderful, wonderful guest. I wish I had more people like you. But above and beyond uh, having you on this show, um, uh, I would say there, there's of course a few. I can't I can't pick out just one, okay. but I'll tell you I'll tell you something. Um, one of the most powerful I've ever, ever had on my show was a woman who died recently. Her name is Deet. You spell her name uh, like like the English word diet, but mm. you pronounce it Deet like the mosquito repellent. Uh, Deet Emin. And Deet Emin uh, was in the resistance during World War II in, in Holland, which is where she, she's from. And she was part of the movement that saved the Jews in hmm. Amsterdam. Hmm. And, and her story, and she's a, she's a deeply, she was a, a deeply devout Christian. Um, but hearing her story of survival in the Netherlands and the incredibly brave, brave woman that she was along with her fiance, who unfortunately did not survive the war. And she never married after that. But uh, how religion, her religion, Christianity, influenced uh, her life-risking adventure to save people who were in the position that the Jews were in, in that time. I, I just remember my jaw being down to the desk throughout the entire interview. Hmm. That was deeply, deeply powerful. Uh, so, so I will go for, for that uh, uh, right now. 
Um, and, and what have I learned? Well, I have, when Common Threads first started, and, and I wasn't the host when it started, but I helped behind the scenes uh, produce it. And it was a round table. And we we got all as many people, not as many people, but we we would try to think, okay, so this in this episode we'll have a Jew, a Christian, and a Buddhist. And the next one we'll have a Baha'i, uh, a Sikh, you know, and a Mormon, whatever it is. And we would try to uh, think of themes. So this is what we do in our religion when it comes to weddings. This is what we do when it comes to funerals. This is what we do when it comes to child rearing, rearing holidays, whatever it was. When I inherited the show, I wanted to really broaden the scope. And I didn't want it to be so bloody kumbaya. And so I moved into the direction of having people to talk about religion from any standpoint whatsoever, even anti-religion, anti-religion. I had uh, agnostics and secularists. Um, over the last several years, I, because religion played such a great role in the Trump administration, I had a number of people on to talk about that. Hmm. Always, always from the standpoint of, this is not a good place for us to be. <laughs> mm. Having Pentecostals believe that that uh, 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 Donald Trump is a messiah is not a good place for the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 so and I, I much of the time I didn't really even ask the people um, uh, what they believed in or what religion they were because they were academics. And for uh, another thing that I've learned is. Um, for instance, I told you about people calling and asking, should I go to SRF? Should I go to the Hindu temple? Whatever, whatever it was. Being the host of Common Threads broadened my understanding of so many different religions that it allowed me to be in those conversations. Um, it, it, it really has been a gift. I'm sure both of you gentlemen know what it's like to have have access to so many great minds uh, present company excluded of course <laughs> but uh yeah it, it's it's really a gift and by the way you you mentioned uh, accessing common threads we are available not only at the radio station wgvu in grand rapids but we are available at a as a podcast and if you look for us as a podcast the full name is Common Threads and Interfaith Dialogue. Because if you just put in Common Threads, and I'm not kidding, you're going to get a show about knitting. <laughs> really. we'll, post, we'll, we'll post all that up. Uh, Fred, thank you so very much. Phil, do you have another question? No, I think, uh, Fred, thanks for, for coming on. We could uh, talk uh, forever, of course, uh, as you and do. I often do when you <laughs> yeah, visit L.A. Great, great stuff, great and, stuff. And um, it, it's great to have you uh, on the show and, and uh, switch roles with you. Uh, keep up the good work, and uh, thanks for delivering Michigan to the uh, good guys uh, in the election. <laughs> <laughs> You're more than welcome. It was my pleasure. Okay. Oh, thank you. Okay, gentlemen. Bye -bye. Thank you. All the best. Thank you.